Welcome to the Teacher's Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thanks for listening. In this episode, I interviewed earlier specialist Anna Lucas, who is super knowledgeable about her area. This was a really great interview, jam-packed with content. My new interest in early years is growing so much as my daughter is now three and attending school nursery. I'm learning a ton of new things and approaching this kind of learning with a different mindset, it's really not the same as Key Stage 2. The conversation centred heavily around continuous provision and the use of it in year one. And as a company, we've been developing year one continuous provision resources, so naturally I was lapping up everything Anna had to say. All in all, it was a fabulous conversation and Anna just handed out so much knowledge, expertise and value. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Let's get to the interview. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Um, we are at Lead Learn, Lanks, um, 2019. So I feel like I'm saying, well, I'm saying this for the third time now because this is the third interview I'm doing, doing about six today. Um, so I'm really grateful to, to Sarah for letting me podcast here and getting so many fantastic guests in. Um, so I was really interested when the opportunity came up to interview you for the podcast um, because you're going to talk to us about EYFS and phonics. Yeah. Um, so, what I like each guest to do is give me a background of where they are, what they've done, um, just so the listeners know why on earth they should listen to Anna. Okay, well, I don't know why on earth they should listen to me, but I'll <laughs> tell you about my background if that's okay. Yeah. So, I am um, I'm a, a primary trained teacher. Um, I did a four-year Bachelor of Education in Liverpool, which was brilliant in the advanced study of early years. And then I taught across early years and key stage one. Where I got into phonics was when Jim Rose went up and down the country Mm -hmm. um, and said phonics wasn't consistent. And then they gave a lot of money to local authorities to say, look, we need to to work on this. Um, And because of that, I then ended up being... So moving, some would say, to the dark side, to the local authority as an early as consultant, mm-hmm. uh, as a CLLD consultant it was at the time, uh, where we ran all the universal training for phonics. Mm-hmm. So I was known as the phonics lady in, in Bolton. Yeah. Uh, so I did that for about oh, nearly three years. And then with the way in which government funding and things like that, it was, you know, uh, they, they couldn't fund it anymore. Yeah. So from that point onwards, I thought I'd have a nice six months off yeah. with my son, uh, who was going into um, nursery um, in, in the September. He's now just in high school, so that gives you an idea of timescales. You've been doing it a while, yeah. Yeah, and um, not necessarily intended to set up anything by myself. I thought I'll, I'll be back in the classroom by September, but I'm gonna have this like little sabbatical. Um, and that didn't quite happen. Um, I ended up um, very, very busy, very, very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, where the phone was ringing saying, we need phonics training, we need this, we need that. And that's kind of grown over the past few years, uh, as well as my earlier sort of head and expertise and my passion about 
wanting, making sure that we're giving children what they want and they need mm. in terms of, in, in, a, in, in a current climate of, of policy and procedure yeah. Yeah. and top-down government stuff, you know, that actually, and data and performance management and making sure that that doesn't get in the way of what children want and need and, and it's our moral obligation to give it to them. So early years, phonics, um, and then more recently so, um, we've just had a book, uh, I say we, I, I have to mm -hmm. take ownership of this, uh, just recently published a book, well, last year, 2017th of December 2018, was a memorable day, mm -hmm. um, where the story of Sir Undercracker was um, kind of hot off the press. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote that 10 years ago when the children were little because they used wow. to like to wear underpants on their head. Yes. And in our family, we fondly refer to them as undercrackers. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of was born out of Sir Undercracker and Nellie Knickerbocker, my children. Um, and uh, last year that came to fruition. So I'm a phonics consultant. I'm an early years specialist, uh, passionate about what children want and need. And I'm also a children's author. Wow. So all that in about 11 years? <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. about. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. Um, and I was just telling you before as well, I bought that book last night yes. um, after we had the conversation. So I thought, oh, well, just have a look at it. And I read the um, first couple of pages um, and I thought, oh, my three-year-old will love that. Um, it rhymes. His favourite colour is yellow. Her favourite colour is yellow. Um, well, his favourite colour is yellow, but um, I was trying to, when I was putting it together, um, I was saying he was an interesting old fellow. So obviously it had to be yellow that it was his yeah, favourite yeah. colour. But I get asked by children all the time, why is his favourite colour yellow? And I have to give like a bit of a backstory behind that yeah, yeah. And, and tell a few tell a few porky pies yeah. uh, to say well it didn't really rhyme uh, blue blue didn't rhyme with this you're or just creating a character that's well, what you do yeah but his favorite color is yellow yellow makes people happy doesn't it and so undercracker makes people happy well so. yellow can be a favorite color because it's, it's definitely had his favorite color well, so perfect um okay so obviously we had um quite a conversation um yesterday when um i know i'm like oh how are we gonna get all that in because it was absolutely amazing um so we talked a lot about um, continuous provision. Yeah. Do you think that, um, you know, are a lot of schools using continuous provision? Um, in nursery and reception, absolutely. Because we know that it's planned, purposeful play um, and they have, you know, the crux of their sand, their water, um, their Play-Doh, their workshop areas and the likes of. So nursery and reception, it would be commonplace to see that. Um, whether that is being used to its full potential is sometimes where we really need to look carefully about that provision because play needs to be at the heart of children's learning. Mm -hmm. I think that um, they say that we talked about this yesterday and I can't yeah, the remember. Research, the the research, repetitions, is it? It's something like 12 times. A child only has to do it 12 times if they play. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. Hundreds. Oh, hundreds. We need to clarify that. But yeah, 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 hundreds of repetitions to make a learning connection, but only 12. or I think it might be 20, but we need to clarify it. Good but play. 20 repetitions during play. Um, and that play is the superfood to children's brain. However, if it is low-level play, hands-on, brains-off stuff, where they haven't got skillful adults interacting with them because they're too busy at their blue table. Yes. Uh, kind of dishing out uh, guided reading and guided writing and guided maths and they're so busy to get through this all these children who desperately want to go and play because they don't want to be sitting at a table they want to go back into their provision I think what I'm, I'm trying to say is that yes continuous provision is 
uh, commonplace in nursery and reception and some year one classes, which I know you'll want to discuss. Um, but it's the way in which it's managed and used is whether it is effective play, whether it's hands-on brains off stuff or whether it's op optimum conditions for learning. And the optim optimum conditions for learning is where adults will play with children and remove themselves. In mm. fact, get a hold of that blue table, pink table, yellow table, and step away from it. We have a hashtag, step away from the blue table. Um, get Move those tables, get those tables out of the way, because then what we're doing is we're saying to children the challenge and expectation, and we value play. Mm. And if you ask children when you go into a nursery and reception class where continuous provision, you can see them all really busy, mm. um, but then the adults are heads down around the room, yeah. so busy with their six children or their eight children. Yeah. And you've got, so say there's 30 children in that learning environment, and you've got six with one adult, six with another. So you've got 12 children who are learning, Yeah. potentially. Um, and then you've got, uh, let me work my maths out here, yeah, 18 children out there yeah. in the wilderness that, that, yeah. the, that is continuous provision. But it's hands-on, brains-off stuff if we don't get adults playing in there. Right, okay. You ask any child in early years, where do you work and where do you play? If that setup is where we've got a blue table and that the continuous provision is a bit of a holding activity until you come and do your real work, mm. then children start to see the distinction between work and play. Mm. And we need to dispel that myth yeah. and debunk that myth with our children. Yeah. And the way in which we can do that is saying, right, I'll teach in provision. So, for example, and maybe some of your listeners might want to think, oh, I am guilty of the blue table. Yeah. Uh, say, right, OK, next week I am going to go and look at my provision and look what I've got. So, and say, for example, I was doing, um, I knew that I'd planned to do counting with, here I say it, compare bears, uh, in, on the blue table. You can see how much I love those. And say, well, actually, how could I step away from that? And how, where's the potential in my provision? Mm. My children are really interested in dinosaurs, for example. And mm. I also want them to build up their fine motor skills and mm. I want them to build up all of this because I know that this muscle here is really important for writing. So I'm going to take my maths and I'm going to go and teach that in the Play-Doh area. And I'm going to say, right, guys, Mrs. Lucas is going to be in the Play-Doh area today. And there are some uh, visitors we've got in, in the uh, Play-Doh area. It's our very hungry dinosaurs. And basically, we go and feed the hungry dinosaurs. And we're doing one more and one less. We're doing size. We're having conversation. We're having purposeful play where the children don't realize that they're learning, that I'm applying those learning objectives to them, but it's in their provision. So would you actually take all the children and kind of do an input or would you would you just stay there and make no. sure that every child would come in and, and sort of just I, continuously kind of yeah. facilitate the learning? And I know what you're saying there. I think I think there are there are different options that you can use. Mm -hmm. So you can either put yourself in provision and mm -hmm. it, so say for example I'd done a bit of a, a gather time. And it might be about, might be a story about the hungry dinosaur or a song about the hungry dinosaur that then leads into mm -hmm. this mathematical activity that I'm going to be doing that is based in my continuous provision. Yeah. So what I could do is I could say, um, right guys, I'm going to be here 
make sure you come and join me today because I yeah. really want to see you. And children will generally, when, if you set up an, um, a provocation or an invitation to play and the adult is there, lots of them will just literally flock to you yeah. and they'll yeah. continue to flock to you. Because they think you're going to get that time with you. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not too busy at the, at the blue table, which mm -hmm. I, I, hopefully by the end of this podcast, people will want to be get throwing rid of their, their blue tables. Yeah, or whatever, whatever colour it is, whatever colour it is. So um, the... So I, I could do that and I, I could say, right, and I would have like a class list and I would have, you know, what they needed to do and I would differentiate. So it could be that I've got a child working at 22 to 36 months, 30 to 50, 40 to 60, some that are the exceeding early learning mm. goal. And I would apply my interactions and I wonder what would happen if this hungry dinosaur uh, wanted three more pieces of food. In fact, oh, that's what he's telling me. And the children have given him five and they say, I wonder how many he'd have all together. Right, he's got eight. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, I would differentiate accordingly, but it might be that I'm just doing one-to-one -one correspondence mm -hmm. or, or subitization or um, um, one more, one less, doubling, sharing and halving. But I have enabled that and enhanced that mm -hmm. area of provision to allow whatever needs to happen. And yeah. you can see that potential there from what's going on in the Play-Doh to what might be going on at a blue table with, with not play-based material yeah, that you can't do a, much it's with. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. But you can always, I can already imagine how much more engaged they are. And I know that in the conversation we had yesterday, I mentioned my daughter because, you know, I don't really know very much about EYFS. Um, I feel like I'm learning about continuous course, position yeah. now. Um, and one of the reasons is... Uh, and uh, they interest me is because my daughter's three and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I probably do elements at home anyway. Mm. If she's interested in something, I'm like, oh, let's do this. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, so if we've got, say, key stage two teachers or even key stage one teachers who, who are thinking about continuous provision or they've heard the buzzword, mm -hmm. um, what actually can it be described as? What actually is it? Oh. <laughs> You know, if somebody was in key stage, they was thinking, what, what are they talking about today? They're talking about a learning environment that is enabled uh, with resources that will allow children to practice and apply their developing skills at a developmentally um, appropriate level for them. And that it's open-ended so that actually the, the possibilities are endless. Mm. That there's, uh, we have enabled our environments where we as the adults understand the potential in that provision yeah. of the learning that could potentially take place with our children. Mm -hmm. But what we need to do is we need to give our children and our adults in early years and year one and year two and yeah, yeah. and more, but that's, an, that's, an, that's another conversation. We need to give them permission to play. That We understand that play is important for them, that it's, it's the superfood to uh, the, the highest mm. form of research for anybody, um, but especially for our children um, at, at that particular age. So what we do, what continuous provision is, it's an enabled environment mm. where adults carefully select resources that they know have got learning potential, mm -hmm. happy to let children lead the learning and then happy to co-play with them yeah, yeah. and uh, extend them. And not a case of, like, so you're playing in the water and I know you need to count to five and I walk around the room and go, Claire, just come here a second. Can you just count to five for me? Right, I tick the box. Right. I come and I play with you mm -hmm. and you are 
pouring water back and forth and the frogs are jumping across and I, uh, the five speckle frogs um, and we've got the log there as well. So I start playing with you and copying what you are doing. I'm doing my mirror neurons with you and playing with you. And then I would say something like, I wonder what would happen if we put the frog on top uh, here or underneath here because I know that I need to do positional language for yeah, example yeah, yeah. or through behind I wonder what would happen if rather than setting up a staged activity yeah. which is completely out of provision so it's the enabled environment where we know the potential and the provision where children are going to, to be at their their highest level of learning because mm. they are playing um, and that we can sensitively skillfully surreptitiously okay and subtly interacts with children so they do not know that we have just applied yeah. some learning to them or extended their learning further yeah. by asking a question i wonder what would happen if yeah um talking about questions as well is that uh, we do the question hand uh, mm -hmm. clan have you heard of clan no. it's a speech and language um a, a program which anybody who's uh, they've got a parent one as well actually for hattie but anyone who's working with children about how communication um, is um, develops in early years mm -hmm. uh, and it's a real eye-opener and what we tend to do in early years and well across the school I'd say maybe even goes into secondary we question children too much what how why how mm -hmm. many tell me more yeah. and actually uh, the question hand is where you say here you say right we ask a question and we make sure it's open-ended so mm -hmm. I if you can start every question with I wonder why I wonder how I wonder if you put that I wonder caveat there, mm. you're saying to children, there's no right or wrong answer yes, here. Yes. So it's open-ended. But once you've done that, you put your thumb down because you are not allowed to ask another question. Okay. You need to interact with children. So you comment on what they're doing. I want you to try this tonight with Hattie. Yeah, okay. So you comment about what they're doing. You repeat what they've said. Mm -hmm. You expand what they've said. So say Hattie said, I don't know what level she's at, but say she was in the bath and there was a boat and she said, oh, the boat. And you might expand that you might say the blue boat floating on the water oh we do that a lot yeah, yeah so expansions yeah. so depending on where so say lottie uh, sorry not lottie sorry do you know what we nearly we nearly called our second daughter lottie well, but we thought hattie and lottie were too similar that's right. very strange that is Carry very on. strange but i apologize <laughs> but um say um Hattie, I'll get this <laughs> right now. Say, uh, say Hattie's sort of speaking at like, say she, when she was, I'm sure she's a right chatterbox, but yeah, when yeah. she was speaking in one word utterances, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you would expand it by one or two. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and bring and, and improve their vocabulary and their language structures. Yeah. So wherever they are, you expand it by mm -hmm. one or two more words. Yeah. So repeat, expand, or then you might explain. Um, so uh, the blue boat, yes, it's floating on the water. So then, so I've got my comment, repeat, expand, explain. And then, if I so wish, I can then ask myself another question. Because you've been through all that process. Yeah, but I don't have to go, oh, comment, repeat, expand, explain. I might expand a few times, I might explain, I might comment. And actually yeah. what you'll find is as you get as, as you get into it, and I really strongly suggest that you guys, uh, all your listeners, try it. You know, First of all, how many questions are you actually asking children? Yes, yes. And I'll tell you a little story, it's really funny. Um, a little boy in reception, and it, his TA was with him in the... Um, uh, construction area mm -hmm. and she went over and she said and what color is that one he said blue and what color is that one it's yellow and what color is that one it's red and he looked at her and he went oh miss do you not know your colors either <laughs> yeah. and 
And actually, I could be playing with that child and saying, yeah. I wonder what would happen if we tried to balance the blue one on there. And that child goes and gets the blue one. So yeah. I know that he's understood what balance, putting it on top, what colour it is. I don't need to continually quiz, him all the time. quiz and question. That adult in the continuous provision, you know, limit your questions. And children of that age do get bored of the questions as well, because, you know, I'll ask Hattie a lot of questions and, and she, she's very good, she, like, she likes to answer them, but I think after a while she just stops answering because she's bored. Yeah. She's, you know, she's bored of like, I don't want to tell you what happened at school today, mummy. No, and, and it's, it's that sustained shared conversation. It's mm. a conversation where I throw, a, I serve a ball to you yes. and you serve it back yes. to me. And it's a conversation rather than, I mean, th this, is, this is a conversation. I know you're asking me questions, but you're also commenting yeah. and uh, repe uh, repeating, you're explaining, you're expanding. Yeah. Um, if you just asked me lots of questions, I'd be just sitting here like this, like, like I was in mastermind. Yes, And yes. what we, if you think about, the, you know, a, a super loaded, pimped up Nerf gun, okay? Yeah. And basically a child in, in the Play-Doh area or the sand area and you're going, bah, 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 bah. that is what you're doing to them. You're asking them too many questions. So yeah. you close it, you limit the conversation, but also with the question hand as well is, and you need to get a Sharpie marker and write the number 10 on your hand because it takes children 10 seconds to process language. And what you've asked, yeah. Yeah, so I might say, I wonder what would happen if, and if you and I, so I say to you, um, oh, right, okay, so um, I wonder what would happen uh, if uh, my microphone didn't work now, Claire. <sighs> no, wait a minute, we need 10 seconds. Is it up yet? This is a long time. It's awkward, isn't it? Yeah. Totally awkward. Yeah. And But we as adults then will dive in yeah. and say something else and then we've reset the whole communication the can't think process. So we And then we end up speaking for them. So that 10 seconds, even though it's totally awkward for us, I mean, not all children will be. And if they haven't answered you, it's because they because they don't want to interact with you and you might want to come back to them later. <laughs> yeah. But we sometimes, like, you were, you were ready to dive in at two seconds then. Yeah. Two seconds was uncomfortable for you. Yeah. I don't know what you're like, but, like, if you're at a dinner party or something like that and there's uncomfortable silences, I feel the need to fill them. I do, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yes. and, and it's that thing, as, as adults, we do. It's uncomfortable for mm. us, but we need to give children what they want and need. Yeah, so, and allow that time. So going back to the, those things that I've... I've if, if anything, to try next week before half term uh, or to think really think about practice over the next week. Cause then you've got half term mm -hmm. and then it's like, right, okay, well, after half term, let, let's do a bit of action research here. You know, let's find out whether moving away from the blue table into provision, I've not even gone into outdoor provision yet, but in the indoor or the outdoor, go and teach in there. Yeah, even, um, if, even if you just try one lesson a week, just seeing what it's like. Yeah, but... Once you've done it once, you'll know that it's the right thing to do and you'll just yeah. shift your provision over. And it's having the confidence to know that you are, you're not, you're not sitting at that blue table. So when your senior leaders come in, mm. it, it looks like you're doing some work with children and like yeah, oh, happy yeah. days. I used to, Tracy, my head at Moorside in Salford, uh, could hear her because she had lovely high heels and could hear her coming through the hall. I sometimes would jump and, and move away from playing with children yeah. and look like I was doing something really really you know effective with children yeah. and then it dawned on me why am i this was years ago but why am i doing that mm. um it's 
it goes against the grain of everything and it's it's having that confidence as a teacher to know that you are early years you're in early years because you love three four and five year olds yeah. you want to give three four and five year olds what they want and what they need and having that confidence to say no I'm going to do this yeah and actually the learning that they might have had at the blue table could be quite limited but the learning that they're going to have in that play-doh area or that bug hotel or that mud kitchen where you're doing your guided reading your guided writing your guided maths or actually you're doing reading writing and maths all in one session because you're yeah. doing it holistically yeah um and it's basically step away from the blue table get into provision teach where children want to be yeah because they're going to enjoy it so much more. Well, the they? other thing is, Claire, what happens is that children go from this yo-yo effect from going from the blue table to provision, that the, the skills that you're teaching them over here on the blue table, they don't transfer them into the provision. Mm. But I know if I do my Hungry Dinosaurs um, and my colleague who's on outdoor play, I've got a heads-up adult who's playing with children as well, but yeah. I've got a colleague on outdoor play who's, uh, they're going to, they're going on a bug hunt, so they're going yeah, to yeah, find yeah. a big one, we're not scared, even yeah. though Mrs. Lucas is really scared because she doesn't like bugs. Yeah. Um, and you're doing, you're doing, you're reading, you're writing and maths, there's, there's joy and passion in children's faces, they're yeah. excited about their learning. But then, when I'm not teaching there, you will still see children going on a bug hunt going back to that and yeah. doing it with their and friends rehearsing it, yeah. and rehearsing and practicing and applying those skills so they're practicing those over and over again and our children have got what we call mirror neurons um adults not as much so i think if you you've um very if, i think if you quite um got quite a lot of empathy and you are uh, quite socially aware then you do tend to start mirroring mm -hmm. the person that you're talking to you kind of yeah. to make them feel at ease but um some adults do have that, some don't. But our children have mirror neurons. I don't know, have you ever seen Hattie? Does she ever try and pretend to be you? Um, yeah, yeah, she does. Mm. She says, I'm mummy and you're Hattie. I know, but does she say things that you do? Oh, yes, yeah. all the time. I think, oh, that's yeah. where you got that from. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Uh, so these mirror neurons, um, basically, um, our children and, and all, all your nursery and reception teachers will know this, that if they they get to sit on your chair, your throne, you know, mm -hmm. where you take the register, you will find them there sitting on your chair and they will take you off to an absolute <laughs> tea. And you're like, oh no, I don't really sound like that. <laughs> and when my little boy was in um, nursery, I got called in and they said, oh, we'll just have a bit of a chat. And I was thinking, oh God, here it starts. But actually it was a very funny story. He'd spent hours in the construction area building this masterpiece and some of the other boys were running around being superheroes and they knocked it down and he threw his hands up in the air and he said, and I was waiting for them to say something terrible, but he probably threw his hands up in the air and said, for the love of God. Yeah. And I was like, yes, he does hear that at home. And it could have yeah, been a yeah. lot worse. Yeah, but yeah. what children do is they mimic everything that we do. So if we want children to teach, if we want children to learn from continuous provision and play, we need to be in there playing with our children so that they, they practice and apply those developing skills uh, yeah. in the provision. Does that make sense? That's amazing. I feel like I've rambled. I'm no, sorry. No, you haven't rambled at all. I you've, I have. you've, you've given so much amazing content. Thank you. Um, so you've obviously talked about children being in continuous provision and having brains off. What did you say the opposite was? So you've got hands-on brains off yeah. is one end of a yeah. sort of um, a continuum, so to speak. Then you can yo-yo to uh, highly structured so that might be, right, Claire, come and sit down. You're going to do this right here, right now with me. Mm -hmm. But what we want in the middle is like optimum conditions for learning. Right, okay. 
So the optimum conditions for learning, have you got any ideas of um, things that teachers could do? Um, I don't know, maybe something for maths or something for writing that would just give them something to kind of start with. Right, okay, so for example, if they've got a mud kitchen outside next week, don't do your guided writing at the blue table where you say, children, come and do your writing for me. Mm -hmm. Number one, as soon as you say that they're doing it for you, yeah. then they're switched off. What we're going to say is, today, guys, we're going to be uh, generating recipes in the, the mud kitchen yeah. or the outdoor kitchen. I don't generally call it a mud kitchen anymore. I know I've mentioned it a few times, but I think if you just say mud, it's all about mud. Yeah. You want herbs in there. You want lavender. You could call it a concoction corner or the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, but basically, yeah. we're going to be making recipes. And um, so it's a guided writing session. And basically, they've got clipboards at the side of them. And the clipboards have got their um, their phonic mats on. Or if they go onto Fun Phonics, if I'm allowed to mention Fun Phonics, but they have their bands, they have phonic bands, and they wear them. And we say, we hear our sounds in our words really well. We look at our bands to see and spell. Because I can hear a mmm for mud, but yeah. sometimes I can't remember what it quite looks like. Yeah. So yeah. I'll get my band or I'll get my phonic mat. So yeah. uh, if, I've, if it's the phonic mat, we hear the sounds in our words really well. We look at our mats to see and spell, and that helps us remember what they look like. Yeah. But basically, they've got the clipboards, and the children, uh, we have like a bit of an input, a conversation about what they might want to do. They go off and they do their learning, and I'm reminding them to make sure that they record their learning. But also, I'm not facilitating that where I'm sitting there and doing nothing. I'm also making my mud pie as well. Okay. And then, I'm, yeah. So I'm shared writing at the same time. Yeah, and, and they're then, seeing that, they're yeah. modeling it like, just as they're doing it as well absolutely and what because they're doing and then they're recording somewhere right okay what's the first ingredients right you choose your first ingredient not okay so right we're all going to put one scoop of mud in what are you going to choose yeah, yeah. right and what did you choose tell, tell the person next to you what you chose right okay let's record it so they're doing short sharp bursts of recording yeah and not longer writing yeah where actually it hurts them claire yeah just do that feel that muscle there Mm -hmm. Just for the podcast, this is the um, muscle which is a bit further down from your thumb. Yeah, can you see it there? Just feel that there. Okay. Oh, ow. Yeah. It hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. Right, okay. That doesn't develop till the age of eight for children. Wow. Now, pretend you're picking up a pen. Feel how much that muscle is being used. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, talk to, you talk to children <laughs> and they will say it hurts. Yeah. So, short, sharp bursts of writing. So, you take or you decrease the, um, the amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you increase the frequency. So micro yeah. writing bursts or micro uh, recording bursts. So yeah. they're doing that. And actually children, especially boys, flourish when the pressure is off. Mm. And as soon as you move away from that blue table and you go and do your guided writing and provision. Now I've said the kitchen. Think where else you could do a guided write. Yeah. Where you can do short, sharp bursts of recording with your children. You know, make sure that the environment's enabled. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're co-playing with them, that they don't feel it's too over-directed, that it's yeah. open-ended. And you are going to get the very best of your children. You're going to get the very best of them because they're going to be functioning up here yeah. in the neocortex where their synapses are firing all over because not only are they doing their literacy skills, they're moving, they're outdoors, they've got 25% more oxygen than the indoors. They are choosing ways to do things. Mm. They are making plans. They are... It, not a case of come and do your writing for me and you'll get a sticker yeah. so they're enjoying and achieving what they set out to do and the language that I'm using there the characteristics of effective learning yeah so you've got your three prime areas that children need the communication language physical 
and your um, personal, social and emotional, they're all cooking on gas. So all those synapses are firing. Then actually I'm doing shape, space and measure and I'm doing maths, but my, what's leading my learning is literacy and writing. Yeah. But I've also got expressive arts and design there and I've also got understanding of the world and they are the seven areas of learning. And in the early years foundation stage, allowing the characteristics of effective learning to, to just just be there because you've made it so open-ended and playful. They're functioning at the highest level of their capability and you know that that is exactly what they can do at that moment in time. Yeah. Just thinking about this now, it just sort of reminded me. Um, so, you know, sometimes uh, schools that are in more deprived areas, um, their children sort of don't go on school trips and... Um, I know some of the research is that if children have, uh, you know, they try and go on more school trips because they're better writers and maybe those families who do take the children, you know, to castles and different yeah, those places. Yeah, those life experiences. Yeah. yeah, and really, I suppose what you're doing is creating those life experiences um, that either mirror um, what they could get at home or maybe what they don't get at home because they're experiencing things that then they can write about. Yeah. Um, so... I guess really we do see it further up. If, am I making sense? I think so, yeah. In terms of that you're giving children the it, opportunities it, that they might not. Yeah, it's action, isn't it? Yeah. It's the action um, and the experience that then makes you understand it so much that you want to write about it. Yeah, and, it, and it's, 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 it's got to be something that they, they want to write about. It's got to be purposeful writing. Yeah. Otherwise, if it's not purposeful, if I don't see a purpose in it, why, why on earth would I write, write for you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's communicating those messages. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about a message centre, but you definitely need, uh, and your, um, your listeners need to uh, get a book called Can I Go and Play Now okay, by yeah. Greg Bottrell. But Greg does something called the message centre and it's absolutely revolutionary stuff. Now, I don't want to talk about this too much because I'd be stealing Greg's thunder. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's, it's about communicate, going back to why we write and communicating a message and it being purposeful. Yeah. And we've got to make it purposeful and meaningful for our children. And I say in my best Manche Manchester accent or Salford Salfordian accent, should I say, if they ain't got out to talk about, they ain't got out to write about. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my best accent and that, coming and out That's there. exactly what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, yeah. it's about the experience, I guess. So, you know, we know that when, when they've got, you know, we try to create these experiences for them so that they've got something to write about. And it's the same lower down, isn't it? They need all these experiences. Yeah. To, and it's not just writing, is it? They need to experience um, the learning rather than being told to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, uh, yeah, and there are, there are actually learning retention rates. And I can't, like, if I get this wrong now, like, you can't sue me, but I'll give you kind of a, an approximate sort of thing. So they say that when you talk to, or when, when you read something, your learning retention rate is 5%. When you talked at, which we hope that doesn't happen mm -hmm. in any stage of education, um, then that's about a 10%. 20% is um, a demonstration, or 20 to 30%. You start getting higher learning retention rates at 50% of discussion, 60% mm -hmm. of experience, practical, hands-on, um, and actually doing it. And regardless of whether um, you are 3 or 13 or 30 or 39, 69, 79, whatever, uh, whatever age you are, in order to learn something, you need to play with it. 
Yeah. And Albert Einstein, not Anna Lucas, Albert Einstein says it, play is the highest form of research. And it's, it's about experiential stuff, but mm. we shouldn't stop play just because we close the door at the age of five. Yeah. And bring and hands-on stuff, experiential stuff, is what, how, how we learn. Uh, Simon uh, sent something to me the other day, said, oh, you need to use this in your presentation this Simon afternoon. Simon Hunt. Yeah, yeah Simon Hunt. Um, and I was like, right, okay, but I don't know how to do it. He's like, I'll give you a tutorial. I went, no, it's all right, I'll have a play. And yeah. had a play, and I now, now know how to use it. And it's, it's experiencing those as well. Um, there's a 90% learning retention rate. What do you reckon it is? What do you mean? So I've just gone through all of those. So you've got, you've got experience, discussion, practical, hands-on, play. There's teaching. Nine, yeah, teaching yeah. you learning yeah. to others. Yeah. yeah, so as well with our children um, in terms of their play, and this is something that your listeners might be really interested in, and I say it and they're like, oh, I never thought about that before. But if you, you're a secondary teacher, aren't you? And mm-hmm. key stage two as well? Yeah, secondary then key stage two, yeah. Yeah, so you know about plenaries and how important plenaries are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. We, or we're, were. Yeah, yeah, or were. But, but you do need to sum up your lessons, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Um, and when in, in a play-based situation, we don't sum up, we don't, we don't summarise, we don't take stock. Mm-hmm. So, yes, those adults will be playing with children, but and not overkill with iPads and, and photos, but taking loads of photographs throughout a session that literally can be uploaded onto your computer straight away and then play plenaries. And mm. then the children can tell other children what they were doing. Yeah, okay, And right. they are teaching their new learning to others. I had to spell the word mud. You found that really hard, didn't you, Josh? Do you want to tell everyone what you did? How did you overcome that difficulty? Mm. Well, you helped me. And you said to me, oh, I hear the sounds and the words really well. I look at my mat to see, or I, I look at my band to see and spell. And I found them. And then I was able to write them down. So it's... The play plenaries are really good. Yeah. Getting pictures because as soon as you've got that child up on that screen, they're like, that, "That's me. Yeah, that yeah. is me." Oh, so and I want to, to talk about. I want to talk about me. Um, so, uh, <laughs> pl- well, everyone does, don't they? It's, yeah, it's, it's true. It's nature, it's, but especially you're through, never looking at anyone else when yeah. there's a photo of you. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm looking at it going, no, no, I don't like photographs of me. Um, so, but play plenary is, is something that your listeners could introduce. And that is another thing that's going to strengthen the value of continuous provision and play. Yeah. That's amazing, thank you. Um, okay, so I was going to ask you whether you'd have continuous provision in Key Stage 2. Um, I think you kind of already said In yes. Key Stage 1 or Key Stage 2? In Key Stage 2 as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to be very brave and forward-thinking um, to, to do that. I think the highest that it's got to uh, is Key Stage, uh, end of Key Stage 1. And I talked about my colleague, Joanna Baxendale, continuing mm-hmm. provision into Key Stage 1. Everyone needs to follow her on Facebook because you'll just get so much from that. But also, um, her, the reason she's been allowed to take that into um, year one and year two is because her senior leadership team have given her the faith. Yeah, they trust her. They trust her, but they also know what's right for children. Mm-hmm. But they've also, as well, heavily, they know that if this is going to work in key stage one, then they're going to have to heavily invest in adults. So they have got a lot of adults in there. And that's why a lot of our key stage one and key stage two would shy away from that and say, how on earth could we manage that with two adults? One, yeah. and, and sometimes not even having a, a teaching assistant no, in the room. Absolutely. So how do, how do we manage that? But number one, their, their, their school, they believe in it. Yeah. They've got everybody on board and their results are higher than national average at mm-hmm. the end of year one and the end of year two. Mm-hmm. So they've got the, pr- the, the proof. The proof, they've yeah, got the, the proof. evidence, yeah. But, but also as well, they took a massive risk as well, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And it's taking a risk. 
And I think people are scared of taking the risk to take it into even year one and year two, which is, should be an absolute must. But for our year three, four, five and six teachers, they might just want to think about, okay, this, this continuous provision malarkey, this play-based experiential stuff. What am I doing in science this week? Right. Mm -hmm. Can I set up a station where children can go and play and find out about and learn? Mm. Um, can, I, can I go and play with them in there? But as soon as you use the word play, everyone thinks that you're not learning. Yeah. And it's getting people to realise that play is the highest form of research. Yeah. Play is a happy talent to have. We want everyone to yeah. be happy. We've got well-being and joy. Um, and it, it's that thing about it's having the confidence to do it. And yeah. it, baby steps. I know I said, no, you know, you just just do it. Just go and do it. But yeah. maybe what, there needs to be a bit of action research. Mm -hmm. Go and teach in one way, like you normally would, where it's teacher, teacher-led, top-heavy, not very exciting, at a table, and then get someone to observe that, but get them to observe the soft skills in that. So, you know, what, what's the children's nonverbal communication like when they're sitting at that table? Mm. Are they oozing happiness and joy? Mm. Um, what, what is their, what, what, what's their communication like? What's their interaction like? What are their uh, levels of well-being and involvement? And use those descriptors. I think mm. it's the Lavers scale, so you can actually see and they're, they're, and say, oh, they're about a three in their well-being and their involvement levels. And then go and do the same thing with the same children or a different group of children if necessary. And mm. you've got your action research there in this playful, experiential yeah. provision. That uh, and then get someone to observe that as well. Yeah. And see the difference in the children. Mm. And if you can see joy and happiness and confidence and conversation and relaxed children where their well-being and their involvement is so high, you know that they're learning. They're yeah. at the very um um oh what would be the word I don't want to they're, they're at the highest level of their learning or the highest level of their neocortex if you yeah, want to yeah. say it, where yeah. their synapses are cooking on gas and I think sometimes we need to look at the, compare the difference yeah. and then share that with everyone yeah. and then do that again another time and then build up, oh, okay, I might do two sessions next week. Yeah. But I think I, I would be um, drawn in hook, line and sinker yeah. by seeing the difference in the children yeah. in both scenarios. And then I'd say, right, okay, well, what do these children want and need? And I know I've said want and need a few times and there's a bit of a story behind that. Uh, one of my uh, very, very, very good friends, Rachel, has a little girl called Sophie. Mm -hmm. And Sophie's either going to, and Rachel, forgive me when she, um, if she actually hears this, she's either going to rule the world or she's going to end up in prison, one oh. or the other. <laughs> okay. And what Sophie wants and needs, Sophie communicates that as much as possible. Yeah. And when she comes around to our house, she's like, Mummy, I want to live in a house like this because I've got like 50 training boxes with Play-Doh, potion yeah, making yeah. and all of those things. Yeah. And she'll say to me, Anna, I need the doggies. Oh no, I want the doggies, I want the doggies. And what's, what, when Hattie says to you, I want, what is your response to that? Um, I suppose it depends what she says she wants. Um, what what do we know. normally say to children when they say when they demand from us and say, I want? I usually say, you mean you would like? Yeah, or, <laughs> and, and I've grown up with this, I want doesn't get. Oh, I'm not really at that stage right. yet, but yeah. Yeah, well, but that's what, that's what yeah, yeah, yeah. my primary school days, if I ever said I want, so it'd be like, well, I want doesn't get. Yeah. I use it in my house, and, and I used to say to Sophie, I want doesn't get. And yeah. she'd look at me and she said, okay then, I need. And I thought, do you know what, Sophie? You're four, well, I think she was three at the time. You're three years of age. And actually, I've got 
an obligation to give you what you want and need because you're only 36 months in age, mm. in age and I'm the adult here. And if you want to say, I want and my, I need right now in your play, I will give it to you. And we'll, we'll work on our manners later. But I think it's going back to what children want and need. And we've yeah. got all our children saying, I want this, I want that. Yeah, they might be saying they want things that they're not allowed to get. But I think if children need it, it is our professional responsibility to make sure that we give it to them. Yeah, and um, just going back to um, what you were saying about um, you know possibility of having continuous provision in, in key stage two. Sorry, I went on a tangent. Um, no, Sorry. no, no, it's fine. <laughs> I just I just wrote a little note to, to come back to it. Um, and I think really it requires bravery, doesn't it, um, to be able to to think actually I'm going to try this. Um, and in terms of that, do you think do you think head teachers um, and maybe some SLT are scared of continuous provision? A lot of senior leaders in school, and forgive me, senior leaders that are listening to this, but will 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 more than likely agree with me. And, and it's not they, everybody. No, but but senior leaders um, like your deputy head and your head teacher, in most cases, tend to be key stage two teachers. I think I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And a lot of teachers will agree with me and they'll say to me, Anna, I don't understand early years. I, I'll yeah. hold my hands up. So that's why, and that's why I go into a lot of schools. Because yeah. I take t- head teachers by the hand and say, right, look at the learning, look at this, look at that. And the but, good thing is, is that re- they recognise that as well. Yeah, definitely. And also as well, like that they don't want to do the, the wrong thing because they would potentially want them all sitting down at a table. Yeah. And I think I said to you on the phone uh, yesterday, our very young children, I will go back to Key Stage 2 and that in a moment, but our very young children that can't sit still, they need to move more. Yeah. And if we're getting them to sit still, we're, um, well, they're not going to do it. It's like playing whack attack. I don't really get, yeah. go and get yourself in a reception classroom and it's like <laughs> bobbing up and down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, at some, it, I think sometimes we are scared of things that we don't understand mm. and that, as adults, we like everything to be logical and yeah. sequential and well-planned. We've got our school development plan and these are the steps that we will take. Yeah. This is our intent. This is our implementation and yeah, this is yeah. our impact. The three key buzzwords at the moment. And in key stage two, you can kind of do leveled, graded implementation steps to learning. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you start here, what I planned, and you get there through, yeah, yeah. you know, organized. It's, it's all okay. It's in my brain. Mm-hmm. It's all organized. When you're in early years, and I think early years teachers will agree with me, you've kind of got to have a bit of a different brain mm-hmm. and it's very hard. You know whether you're early years through and through because you know that I've just drawn that line up of, of, of the, the plan. Yeah. And that When you're in early years, it's like this. Spaghetti. And you have to adapt and you have to, you have to think on your feet. You can't plan for it. You can enable your environment and know your potential and your provision mm-hmm. but then that permission to play and then that faith uh, not faith actually uh, confidence and skills mm. to go and help children's learning move forward it's quite a unique skill to have mm-hmm. and if you don't understand it then yes you are going to be frightened of it and I think that frightened and scared is a word but also as well I think there's just so much pressure on schools right now oh absolutely performance management data um so I know I do this uh, this work the author work the consultancy work the teaching work but I'm also on the board of governors at two schools Mm. and the governors we hold account and that's yeah, our yeah. job we've yeah. got pressure on us to hold the yeah. teachers to account and, and it, it comes back to data it comes back to finances um you know if children haven't made this amount of steps of progress mm-hmm. and 
I think sometimes, here's, here's something. I once said to a teacher who was at a blue table in a reception class, and I said, okay, so talk to me. Help me understand why they come to you rather than you going out. And she said, well, it's easier. And I said, for who? And she said, and it took her a while, she said, for me. Yeah. And that was one of those light bulb moments where I didn't have to say anything then. Yeah, yeah. It was like, right, okay. And it's, but it's about what's right for children. And in some cases, yes, sit down at a table, I need to teach you this. Mm. And there are a variety of teaching and learning strategies that like you, you want a, um, a kind of a ones that you can like just pull out your sleeve. You want a, a, a repertoire of them mm. so that you know which one to apply and which, like they need to learn this what's the best thing and what have I got? Is it through play? Is it mm. through discovery? Is it through video? Is it through green screen? Is it through this? Is it through that? Is it through a trip? Is it getting a visitor in? Is it play-based? But I think the biggest thing is that for key stage two, yeah, if you, if you started bringing the word continuous provision in, like, you'd have people shaking in a corner mm -hmm. um, because they've got the literacy out and they've got the numerous, the, the mathematics and they've got all of those things. But it doesn't have to be continuous provision. I would just say, is it experiential? Is it hands-on? Is it fun? And is it engaging your learners? Mm. And then, so move away from the word continuous provision, but is it those things? And is it of interest to them? Is it spark putting a fire in their belly for learning? Yeah. Is it making you excited about learning? Because if you're bored as a teacher, then your children are going to be bored Absolutely. as well. Okay, thank you. Thank Pleasure. you so much. Um, right, I've got a few extra questions for you. So, right, okay. who was your favourite teacher and why? Oh, um, who's <laughs> my favourite teacher and why? Right, okay, so um, I'm 19, 1980s child, primary school wasn't the best of experiences for me. <laughs> um, I think I said to you yesterday, I was in a bit of a world, like, Dolly Daydream Land. Me too. Yeah, we known had this as Spanner, not the sharpest tool in the box. Um, and uh, actually, I know who it is, and he, I'll have to send it to him. He was, and I always remind him because he's a head teacher in Salford now. He actually, when I was in year six, he did some teacher training at our school, and I love to remind him of that because he's like, "I know you make me feel really old. It's not funny." Yeah. Um, but uh, at primary school, there were always like the popular children that always got chose to do things because they yeah, were clever yeah. Yeah. and they got things right, or they finished their work more quickly. So they they were always the ones that got yeah. rewards. And I remember being chosen, and I think it was out of a hat to go with Mr. Platt, Mike Platt. He's a, a superhead in Salford. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, my mum and dad taught him as well, so he can't cope with all that. My oh, mum and dad wow. taught him, he taught me, and now I'm going in and working with him in his school. Um, but he did World War II with us, yeah. and we were allowed to go out of class and go into the library. And we had gas masks, we had rations, we had food. Yeah. It was fun, it was experiential, um, it was hands-on. I felt special because I was chosen to do it. Yeah. So in primary school, I would say it was Mr. Platt. And I oh, only had him on a teacher training for two weeks. And I love that you're, um, you're going to be able to tell him as well. That's nice. I know, but his head might get a bit too big about that. I'll, <laughs> I'll let Dawn know first, his wife. She'll, 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 she'll make sure that uh, he's... Um, grounded. He's, yeah, grounded. That's the word. Um, okay. So Class of Secrets is very passionate about life-work balance. Yeah. Um, if you could wave a magic wand to solve the life-work balance problem, how would you do that? Right. <laughs> Thanks for that. That stumped me. How would I solve it? 
Um, yeah. What would you do in, to solve in a, life problem? What if I was leading a primary school? No, if you had a magic wand, you could do anything. You've stumped me. What would I do? What would I do if I could wave a magic wand? I'd take the pressure off. Mm-hmm. I'd take the pressure off and say, we've I've just said, haven't we, that the pressure, not only for our children, mm-hmm. so children flourish when the pressure is off. Everybody flourishes when the pressure is off. Mm-hmm. So reducing pressure. If I could wave a magic wand, I would reduce pressure. But also as well, I would reduce this level of um, maybe competition about work that, and busyness. Mm. You know, how, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, I, I'm so busy all the time that like, and, and I'm a busy person. I am a busy person. I know when, that I have to reel myself in and like think about self-care for the real world and, yeah, yeah. you know, take, take those time out. The five ways to well-being that I'll be talking about in my keynote this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, giving people a break. Yeah. Yeah. And also as well, in terms of well-being and work-life balance, people need to laugh more. They need to compliment each other more. They need to be on the same team. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes in schools, um, if we've got the right team there, we flourish, don't we? And if yeah. we've got, you know, I, th- I think what I was going to say is always be kind. Yeah. Always be kind uh, because that also takes the pressure off and people develop relationships so they connect um and you need to feel supported don't you yeah and and not that not second guessing and feeling anxious that you're not doing the right thing mm-hmm. um so i think the pressure pressure developing relationships and make sure that you have a good belly laugh every single day brilliant who's your inspiration within education i've got quite a lot of them actually um current ones at this moment in time mm-hmm. um i oh, it's going to get such a big head now, but Mr. Simon Hunt, uh, <laughs> he, he can have it. He's an inspiration to me. Kirstine Beely, Playing to Learn. Greg Bottrell, Can I Go and Play Now? Kate Moxley, um, she's uh, all about mental health, first aid, early years well-being. Um, Sally Wright, Ben Kingston Hughes. Um, and you know what? Who's my inspiration? Above all of those people who are my colleagues. And if I've missed anyone out, I'm really, really sorry. It's all right. You're not on Radio 2, don't worry. That's all right then. (laughs) Everyone who I work with, you are an inspiration. Uh, But the teachers that are doing it day in, day out. Yeah. Because I go into schools. I have the joy of going into schools and reading my book, which is always great. Um, And... um, but I, day in, day out, it's tiring. It's yes. exhausting. It is exhausting. It's exha- exhausting. I've been there and I've done it. And I, um, and I, I still do it, uh, but maybe not at the level. But yeah. my, my lovely sister, Ruth, uh, she's an assistant head at the school. She says, oh, no, you're too far, far removed from the classroom, aren't you? Yeah. But I, I am acutely aware of that. I, yeah. I am removed from the classroom, but that they are the heroes. They're on the yeah. front line right now. So they're my inspiration as well. Thank you. Um, right, last question then. What did you want to be when you grew up? Right, well, this is an interesting one. And my friends, if they listen to this, will laugh their heads off because we had a careers thing uh, at school and I said I wanted to be a midwife. Um, and the reason I wanted to be a midwife is because um, I wanted to see something, that a, a creation that no one had ever seen before, like the, the you know, okay, the, yeah, like this baby. That, yeah, yeah. And I really, really wanted to do it. And then I must have watched some like film <laughs> and watched it and went, nah, I'm not going to do that because it was like the scariest thing that I've ever watched. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can't, can wa- well, I can watch one born every minute, but I literally sit there like that 
I would. The, I the, never watched it. Right. I don't understand why anyone wants to watch that. It's like it's like a horror movie. It's like yeah. a horror movie. Um, I've I watched it a few times. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure, really. But yeah, I wanted to be a midwife. Um, I kind of fell into teaching by mistake. My parents are teachers. Your sister's a teacher. My sister's a teacher. However, I am one of six children, oh, and there's okay. a journalist in the mix. There's a journalist. There's an actor. There's a food stylist. And there is, oh, it'll kill me, that's my youngest brother, um, uh, solicitor. I was going to say there's yeah. that many, you can't remember. I can't remember, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so there are there were only two of us that went into teaching, but my parents were teachers, my aunties and uncles were teachers. Um, so I think it's kind of in us. Yeah. Uh, and I think you kind of know that, don't you? Whether, yeah. But uh, you don't go into it lightly. It's, it's hard work. It is. Right, well, Anna, thank you so much. Um, you've given so many ideas, so so much great value, and um, I know that the listeners are going to have fun trying to implement some of this in their lessons, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you so much for listening. I feel like I just want to go home, set up a load of learning opportunities, and then let my daughter loose and just see what could happen. I'm definitely going to look up the book recommendations too. I thought it was really interesting what Anna said, that teachers have a responsibility to know where their children have come from and what they've learned in previous year groups and how they've learnt it. And it's so true, but sometimes we get so bogged down with the day-to-day of teaching because it takes so much time that we forget that our learning didn't stop with our degree or PGCE. But if we want to be better teachers we need to be able to dedicate time to it, which is really difficult when most teachers are struggling to get a good life-work balance. But it is essential for us to improve and grow. I'm definitely going to be reading Greg Bottrell's book for sure. You'll find everything that Anna talked about in the show notes. And let me know who else you'd like to hear from and what you'd like me to ask them. If it's the first time that you're listening to the Teacher's Podcast, then you can check out our other episodes for some more great listens. And we've been securing some more fantastic guests for you. And if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can let us know in our Facebook group called The Teacher's Podcast Community. This episode is now live on YouTube as well, so don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And did you love this episode? Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teacher's Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.